Hello, you're listening to Dwell on Truth. Today we'll be studying John chapter 7, the second half of the chapter. But first we're going to listen to a clip from this chapter from the Gospel of John movie. Thanks for listening to Dwell on Truth. Some of the people of Jerusalem said, Isn't this the man the authorities are trying to kill? Look, he is talking in public, and they say nothing against him. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said in a loud voice, Do you really know me? And know where I am from. I have not come on my own authority. He who sent me, however, is truthful. You do not know him, but I know him. Because I come from him. And he sent me. Then they tried to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many in the crowd believed in him. When the Messiah comes, will he perform more miracles than this man has? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about Jesus. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Whoever is thirsty should come to me, and whoever believes in me should drink. As the scripture says, streams of life-giving water will pour out from his side. Jesus said this about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were going to receive. At that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not been raised to glory. Some of the people in the crowd heard him say this. This man is really the prophet! The Messiah will not come from Galilee. The scripture says that the Messiah will be a descendant of King David and will be born in Bethlehem, the town where David lived. So there was a division in the crowd because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. When the guards went back, the chief priests and Pharisees asked them, Why did you not bring him? Nobody has ever talked the way this man does. Did he fool you too? Have you ever known one of the authorities or one Pharisee to believe in him? This crowd does not know the law of Moses. So they are under God's curse. One of the Pharisees there was Nicodemus, the man who had gone to see Jesus before. According to our law, we cannot condemn people before hearing them and finding out what they have done. Well, are you also from Galilee? What did you think? Well, I thought it was interesting. Um, It's a slightly different translation. Of course, we usually read from the ESV. So there are some little differences. I mean, there's no differences in the overall message. That's important. But one of the reasons why there are so many translations is that it's not always easy to translate from one language to another, in this case, from Greek to English. And different people are going to put, you know, use slightly different words to communicate the same thing. So I think that's that's a that's an important one. Um, but it was interesting. It was well. I think most of the way it was portrayed was pretty good. It's always different. It's like with any book <laughs> that's translated to a movie. 
You know, you've got the bit in your imagination that tells you what this scene probably looks like. And the movie is always a little bit different. What were your thoughts on it? Really, the purpose of playing that was to get the emotional impact of what Jesus was saying on the crowd. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. think of Jesus in their heads as Mm -hmm. gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yeah. And that wouldn't hurt a fly or raise his voice ever. You know, there is that scripture in Isaiah that says, he will not raise his voice in the streets. But I think that's speaking of Jesus' general compassion for people. And also when he Mm -hmm. was led as a sheep to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. When he was on trial, he didn't, you know, defend himself. He wasn't a provocateur. But when it was necessary, he raised his voice. He did. He was open-air preaching. He was teaching in the temple courtyard. He was. And so he had to raise his voice to be heard by the disciples and then by the Pharisees, the skeptics. He had hecklers. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a a well-done acting by not only the guy that played Jesus, but the crowd and the disciples as far as the tone of voice. So I wanted people to hear that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good. I think it's too easy for us to have our presuppositions about who Jesus is. And sometimes we can bring those to the text and Jesus will actually end up sounding differently or even saying something differently than what the text is portraying. But I agree. I think they did a good job. I think it's just a good reminder that we need to focus more on the actual content. This is what scripture actually says about him. That's really key. Yeah. Whatever you think about the translation they used, they did do it word for word. Yeah. So they didn't skip over any words or add any words. I wanted people to hear that. And uh, I wanted to get your reaction to that, too. Yeah. But as we were listening to it, I said, uh, Mm -hmm. it sounds like he's open air preaching. And you're like, yep. (laughs) Yep. And that's important because in our society, there's been this tendency to think about faith as a private thing. I'm I'm sure you've heard that out on the streets before. You know, well, I'd love to talk about what you believe. No, no, that's a private thing. That's a personal thing. Yeah. It's not supposed to be a personal thing. Sorry. (laughs) Well, it's supposed to be personal. That is, it applies to each person. We each are personally involved. Of course. Not personal in the sense of private and keep it to yourself. Exactly. If it affects us privately, it'll affect us publicly. Correct. If you are able to keep your faith to yourself and, hey, this makes me feel better and I don't need to share it with somebody else, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's something wrong with your faith. You don't understand it. (laughs) Is it a faith worth having but not worth sharing? Exactly. Or, or yeah, it's that's that's an important point. And and some people have been horribly offended when I've said things like that, mm-hmm. you know, particularly older folks. Mm-hmm. But you know, if this is this really something that is life changing, is this really something that is a matter of life and death? Is this really about your soul and eternity? If so, how in the world could you keep that to yourself? Not a great choice. Right. It's like the prophet Jeremiah said, Well, I decided I'm I'm just gonna stay quiet because no one's listening to me, basically. Yeah. And then he said, but I couldn't because the word the word of God was burning in my bones mm. and I couldn't hold it in. And the apostles themselves, when they were told, be quiet about Jesus, they said, we cannot help but speak of the things that we've seen and mm-hmm. heard. So you be the judge, whether it's right to obey God or man. 
So it's obedience to God to actually go out and share the gospel. That's what Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission. Yes, and that. And he didn't command us to do anything that he himself didn't do. He said what I've... No, he went out there. Yeah. What I've whispered to you indoors, go proclaim on the mm-hmm. rooftops. What I like about this portion of scripture we're going to read mm-hmm. today is this is a side of Jesus that if we want to have a full perspective of Jesus, not one-sided. This is a side of Jesus we need to respect and follow at times. Indeed it is. So what if we went through this text and, and read it in the English Standard okay. Version, and then we'll, we'll comment on each section and hopefully finish the chapter. Today. Yeah, let's see if we can Got. get through it. There's a lot of information, but I think there's some yeah. general themes that, cover, that uh, carry all the way through. So yeah. Yeah. So last week we covered verse 1 through 25 mm-hmm. today. Why don't we start in verse 25? Okay, 25 to 31. Sure. Can Go this ahead. be the Christ? Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Powerful. So there's this controversy over, could this be the Christ? Well, couldn't it? If it's not him, could it be someone else? Like, could anyone do, I like verse 30, Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, verse 31. When when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? That is, yeah. assuming you reject Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah, like many Orthodox Jews do today. Mm-hmm. Like, is are they waiting for an, another Messiah to also be born in Bethlehem, raised in Galilee, work miracles, do you know, speak and teach in parables, heal the sick, raise the dead? give sight to the blind, hearing mm-hmm. to the deaf, you know, die on the cross, be pierced for our transgressions, you know, prolong his days by being raised from the dead, ascend visibly into heaven. Like, it, is it, what more could the Messiah do to show that he is the Messiah? Yeah, I, I think part of that really goes back to verse 26. Here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? I think there's possibilities there. I think that they were truly suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, that they Mm -hmm. liked their power, they liked their influence. At the very least, it should have been obvious to them. Um, It makes me think about the Apostle Paul, how he you know, was obviously an enemy of Christ and part of this group and denying who he was and even persecuting Christians. And uh, and it seems from the text that as soon as he came to know Christ, he was able to go and reason from the scriptures about why Jesus was the Messiah. Well, why could he do that immediately after he got saved? <laughs> And before he was doing everything to fight against it. I think it's likely that a lot of these Pharisees were in that same spot. The text should have made it obvious who he was. 
Yeah. But they didn't want him to be. So they were going to fight against him with everything that they had to maintain the status quo and mm-hmm. to maintain their power base. So your answer is yes. It could be that the authorities yeah. really knew deep down that this was the Christ and from the beginning. Yes. But they're still resisting and pushing through to reject him, even until this is, mm-hmm. say, six months before Jesus would actually be killed. Um, and here he, I think what they're commenting on is is not this the man whom they're seeking to kill? Some of them knew that yes. the authorities were seeking to kill the Christ. Could they be? Could our leaders, our religious leaders, really be out to kill their own Messiah? Yeah, you know, it, that's heavy. It is very heavy, and, mm-hmm. and without like, I don't want to over apply this, but you know, it is possible that religious leaders today have an agenda that is mm-hmm. 180 degrees opposed to Christ. You know, I have to wonder. Um, if if there's a church or a pastor who opposes the gospel being spread, for example. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and there are out there, unfortunately. Yeah, we had one that was playing a trumpet while we were trying to preach. You started playing trumpet like 20 feet away yes, from me. And, I remember. And, uh, you know, like, could it be that there are people in ministry that are actually resisting the Lord? Oh, like, I guarantee yeah. it. It's, yeah. it's, it's not an automatic you know, sign of your salvation that you want to be in ministry. Some people want to be in ministry for the wrong reasons. And just because they're, quote, a man of the cloth or a man of God doesn't mean that they're for God. And there's all kinds of religions. I mean, not to say anything about the other religions that outright reject Jesus as the Messiah, but of those who even say that they're Christians. Like, we have to have discernment. Some people are about building their own kingdom, and so they're not going to be for anyone uh They'll, they may even actively discourage their congregation from going out and preaching the gospel, which I don't. I don't get. I don't get that either. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. But I mean, it's this is something that we should expect from Scripture. I mean, Scripture tells us, "Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God." For many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's First um, John four one, and yeah. and we got to remember that. That's False spirits, they're talking, I think, primarily about false, you know, false professors of the Christian faith. Yeah. At this time, so, yeah, it, was the, be careful. it was the, uh, the Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of skipping forward in history, when mm-hmm. um, Stephen, uh, in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 7, was addressing these same religious leaders, he said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You have uncircumcised mm-hmm. ears and hearts. <laughs> and, and that's a, that's a, an insult, <laughs> a way of telling them yes. they're not sensitive to the things of God. They're, they hear yeah. things through a, uh, or let's put it in the visual sense, they see things through a fleshly lens. Yeah, and not not seeing things the way that God wants to see them, wants to show them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's Acts seven fifty one. It's a good one to look up. I I would say we should remind our our the folks out there that we can be like those Pharisees as well. And it reminds me that unbelief biblically is primarily a heart thing, not an intellectual thing. So mm-hmm. just reminding people, you know, examine yourselves, examine your heart when you come to the word of God. And is it really the word that you can't believe or the word that you won't believe? Right. I think that's what it was with the the, uh, the Pharisees here. Yeah. And I don't think it's a denominational thing either. Like I'm not pointing oh, to no. any one denomination and saying those are the no, Pharisees. No, no, not at all. Although there may be mm-hmm. some Pharisaical tendencies and some more legalistic uh, systems. But yes. uh, I think we're all supposed to 
tend to our hearts. That is,、mm-hmm. make sure our hearts are humble and pliable. You know, Paul says to no James said to humbly receive the word of God implanted, which is able to save、mm-hmm. your souls. And so, if if someone resists the word of God, it may you know this may be an internal battle someone's going through right now, listening to us. You know, a part of them wants to、uh, um, turn to God, but、mm-hmm. their flesh or and the world and the devil want them to turn away from God. And、uh, yes, there needs、Absolutely. to be a、uh, enough humility to to come to our knees before the Lord and say, "No, you are Lord. I'm gonna." Trust in you in this situation and obey you in my life and commit my life to you because you gave your life for me. And Amen. We love him because he first loved us. So yes, even、indeed. as a believer of twenty five years, the Lord is still working on my heart in these areas of you know, are you fully surrendered to me and are you、mm-hmm. walking as closely with me as I'm calling you to do? And so yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, I want to press in and lean in and follow Jesus more closely. And times like this, the, these scriptures, it just encourages me. Hey, even though there is pressure on the outside to stay quiet about your faith, in verse 26 of John 7, here it says, "And here he is speaking openly." So if Jesus is speaking openly and he's calling us to go into all the world and speak openly. Then let's open air preach like Jesus. Now, not everyone is called to do that on a regular basis. Are you、uh, sure like, about that? Like us, not everybody should be out on the corner opening their Bible and preaching. Not until they're properly trained and、uh, know that no, you know, they're if they're preaching the truth. I think anyone can try it if they've been、yeah. uh, properly. You know, saved, <laughs> and、uh, yes, they love the Lord. That's important. Even if it, even if they're not great at it the first time, I wasn't great at it. I、um, am.、Oh, yeah. But I, I was just re- real quick story. I was reminded of a friend of yours. I won't say who. Who came along、mm-hmm. to an outreach in Monterey? And he said, "I'm not going to open air preach. This isn't for me."、Uh, mm-hmm. But then he he、uh, encouraged me to read John chapter three. And I was like, "Well,、mm-hmm. if that's on your heart, would you, how about you read? Just read it out loud, and then I'll preach from it." And he read、mm-hmm. it, and then he ended up preaching from it unexpectedly.、Yes. <laughs> um, and、yeah. he said to me afterward, he he thought, "Well, if I can stand up on the corner and invite people to sign the、uh, recall Newsom things, then why can't I、yes. do that for the gospel?、Amen. This is more、that's、important than、right. that." Yeah, I don't think, as you said, everybody's called to to street preaching, and and I, in fact, I've met some people who tried and really were not prepared and probably shouldn't have done it. But I would encourage everybody, of course, to get out there and publicly proclaim who Jesus Christ is and what He did,、mm-hmm. whether that's joining a group to pray or hand out tracts or one on one or open air preaching. And I think everybody, you know, has a you know everybody should consider trying it. But yeah, but yeah Jesus left us a great example to follow,、yeah. and we should we should go out and be bold like He was. Yeah. Last point on this:、uh, one of the purposes of our ministry with open air campaigners is to、mm-hmm. mobilize the body of Christ, primarily through effective open air outreaches. Yes,、And、indeed. So I think that. I, I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just if someone's seen a open air preacher who doesn't do it with grace or in an attractive,、uh, you know, becoming way for a Christian to behave,、mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they shouldn't. If、yeah. anything, God shows us those bad examples to motivate us to be a, a good example. Yeah, and、so、Jesus Christian- is a good example. Yeah, so if you're a Christian and you're wondering about that, we'd love to have you come out and join us. Or a pastor with a church that's wondering how they can reach out to their local community, 
you know, go ahead and contact us at uh, oacnorcal.org. And we'd love to talk to you more about this kind of ministry. Yep. Or email oacnorcal at gmail.com. Amen. So should we we go on to the next section? While we were watching this, you commented uh, on verse 30. Mm -hmm. Did you want to say something about that now? They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid their hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yeah, that is an interesting, and we see that we see that kind of statement in other places in in the book and in the New Testament, in the uh, Gospels as well. And this, I think, really tells us something about the identity of Jesus and about God's plan for him to go to the cross. Mm-hmm. There, there are some who will, you know, particularly unbelievers, but I think even some believers that think that somehow that the cross was an unfortunate thing, or it was a mistake, or, you know, he was trying to do something amazing and his mission was his his purpose was hindered because he died. No, his purpose was to come and die. Um, you know, preaching the good news and talking about who God is and the law and and all of that was important. But Jesus' purpose was to come and die for the sins of the world, his primary purpose. And there was a time frame. Yeah. And the time frame was going to go exactly the way God had planned. There was that three to three and a half years where he was calling people to himself, where he was preparing them to carry his message forward. And that timing was perfect. So they couldn't have killed him at this point. They couldn't have arrested him at this point because they weren't at that place in the story yet. That's a beautiful thing to remember just when we're I'm applying this to open air preaching because sometimes mm-hmm. there is the chaotic scene of uh, people uh you know interrupting or you know mm-hmm. hecklers throwing comments out oh you can't be of god or whatever you know um but to remember that god is on the throne and a lot of people don't evangelize because of fear of how yes. people may react but yes. if you know it's the same for us not only did, did Jesus have an appointed time that he would die, but the Bible mm-hmm. says it's appointed for all men when they would die, once to die, mm-hmm. and after this, the judgment. And, you know, the Bible says, Lord, teach us to number our days. God knows the exact number of our days uh, in advance. We don't know, but we, no, we but don't. until it's our time, we're invincible in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can trust yeah, the Lord yeah. to protect us. Uh, that doesn't mean go out and do anything foolish. Don't throw yourself no, down no. from a, a cliff or a temple to test the Lord. Jesus uh, taught us that. But, mm-hmm. you know, if there's fear, we can overcome our fears by keeping in mind who's on the throne and that Amen. nothing will par- happen to us apart from him allowing it. Absolutely. But also to remember our audience, they're in the same boat. They're dying people. So we ought to preach the gospel like dying men preaching to dying men. And mm-hmm. have knowing us knowing the fear of the Lord and what eternal life is, we want others to come to eternal life. And that can be used as a, as a draw card to Jesus. We, that's our bait, is eternal life. Do you want to live? Mm-hmm. Everybody has a will to live. And so mm-hmm. we appeal to people on that basis of yeah. we're all going to die. The question is, where are you going after you die? And we yeah, know the is one the f- who raises the dead. Is the fear of death something that's appropriate to bring up, do you think, when you're sharing the gospel? Some at people t- would say, times. no, you can't scare people like that. That's not nice. And what do you think? Well, Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill your body and afterward has no power, but fear mm-hmm. him who after killing your body can cast your soul into hell. 
There you go. So pretty straight up answer to the question. I would say if Jesus used that (laughs) to, to convict people and to challenge them, you know, saying, Hey, you're going to die, you know, and you need to be afraid of the one that will, you know, destroy your soul and your body. And what are you going to do about that? If if Jesus yeah. used it as an example, I think it's safe for us to use it as an example too. Well, right? it's it can be safe, it can be dangerous if it comes out wrong. Mm-hmm. I'll tell, I'll give you an example That's of how true. it came out That's wrong. That's true. I was in the it back of a badly. taxi, and I in Ukraine, and I was wanting to evangelize, and I said, "So, are you ready to die?" And the guy grabbed his <laughs> bat and he said, "Get out of my car!" I'm not joking. I said, "Oh yeah. no, no, I'm talking about eternal life. I'm a Christian. I'm a missionary." And yeah. I was like, I "Probably shouldn't have started it that way." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a funny story. We all have those those moments, you know, where yeah. you know, well, I mean, your intention was right. You cared about the guy's soul and Yeah. So I learned and, how uh, to say more. Let's put it hypothetically. Yeah. If you were to die tonight, <laughs> would you be ready yes. to go to heaven? <laughs> or, yeah. you know, why should God let you into heaven? That There you go. That's better than are you are you ready to die because that's almost taken as a threat. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's an embarrassing story. Let's go on to this next uh, section, <laughs> three verses. Um, I love this passage. So thirty, John 7, 37 through 39. Um, Dan, would you just read that section, please? Sure. 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So people understand this was an eight-day celebration, and there Mm -hmm. was a a practice of taking water from the Pool of Siloam and pouring Mm -hmm. it out in the altar, on the altar in... um, the temple area. And yeah, it's representing eight, cleansing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not only does this festival of booths that they're practicing show that God's provision for Israel and recall how he provided mm-hmm. for them to survive in the wilderness, but also how he cleansed us from our sin. And so there were... Um, yeah, there was there was water involved in the feast. Now, on the last day, mm-hmm. they didn't draw out water, so there would be kind of a sense of thirstiness. And Jesus mm-hmm. tapped into that on the last day of the great feast and stood up and cried out. Again, Jesus is open air preaching here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and which is analogous, and he explains it in the next verse. Whoever believes in me, has, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So drinking... It's just an analogy for believing and receiving Jesus. It's mm-hmm. not that he has a literal cup of water for us to drink no. from. Seems like a consistent analogy that he uses. This is basically the same analogy he used with the Samaritan woman earlier in the book. Yeah. Talking about himself as this, really as the source of spiritual life is what he's talking about, as the one source of spiritual life. And it's a great analogy because we can't live without water. Well, I'm glad that John interprets it for us. The living mm-hmm. water, he said in verse 39, he's speaking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, mm. who those yes. who believe in him would to, would receive, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So just looking at the chronology of when did they receive not only spiritual life, but the Holy Spirit indwelling mm-hmm. them, 
and flowing through them. It was in John chapter 20, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe Mm -hmm. that's when the the Holy Spirit uh, came to dwell within them. But then in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascended to heaven, they were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which happened. And they were all not, not only indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but filled up and overflowing, and they they had spiritual gifts and, and boldness to preach to thousands, and effective open-air evangelism happened, and 3,000 people got saved. Yeah, I like your, your statement about how um, God defines his own terms here, and he does, you know, going from 37 and 38 to 39, and I think there's a good principle there, too, because it's it's so common for people to take scripture verses in isolation and try to make them mean something that they don't. And it's it's so important that we not only take a verse at a time, but that we do read larger sections, larger chunks of scripture, or even whole books, so we can see you know what God is saying and how that individual author, through the power of God, defined his own terms so we can know what they're really talking about. Otherwise, yes. you can get really messed up with some, with some verses thinking they mean something things, you know, and when they mean something totally different. And right. if you just read a little farther, you'd see that. <laughs> yeah. I had an interview yesterday, and I'm going to post it soon on the Dwell in Truth podcast with a friend who mm-hmm. does biblical counseling. And mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about was um, how do we use scripture in counseling, whether it's, um, mm. you know, a clinical counseling, you know, contrasting biblical counseling with psychological counseling. I think one of the... Uh, most famous uh, clinical psychologist out there right now is Jordan Peterson. And yes. if you go and watch him try to teach the Bible, he oh, wrangles a lot of things out of context <laughs> and he twists it to fit his Jungian, uh, you know, Carl Jung's uh, philosophical theories about everything. And he changes the definition of God to being the future that you sacrifice your present for. <laughs> and no. That's my Jordan. That was Peterson actually not impression. a bad. That wasn't a bad imitation. But yeah, it's <laughs> and he's a brilliant man in so many ways, and I enjoy listening to his stuff. But yeah, when he, you're right. When he handles the Bible, he doesn't do it well at all. Yeah, at least not generally. Yeah, because he's he's trying to import all kinds of outside ideas into it rather than let it define its own terms. Right. So I'm you glad know, you pointed that, that out. We need to keep yeah. uh, the best interpretation of the Bible is from the Bible itself. Yes. Yes. Let it define its own terms. Yeah. And and not just one last point about Jordan Peterson because he's been on my mind mm-hmm. a lot lately. You know, he's made some statements that he he acts as if he believes in God, but he doesn't admit to believing in God or the or the the God of the Bible. So mm-hmm. I would just say, you know, should people listen to Jordan Peterson? Well, take it with a grain of salt, but also make sure that you're not being led astray by philosophies and, and ways Empty of deceit. thinking that are that are not yeah. according to Christ. Yes. Here, the, Jesus appeals to a deep thirst that we have as humans, and that is we need God. Jesus is mm. the one who satisfies that need for God because he is God, and not only can we come to Jesus and receive satisfaction? But what he pours out and fills us up with is the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. There will be a filling Mm -hmm. uh, that comes from Jesus 
but it's the Holy Spirit, who is also God, the third person of the Trinity. We don't often talk mm-hmm. about him, but I think when he we comes don't. up in Scripture, we should start developing a um, biblical view of the Holy Spirit. And this is one that is really important to inform us about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Who receives the yes. Holy Spirit? Is he dwelling in everybody, Dan? No, he's not. He's dwelling only in Christians. And it's interesting, even in the Old Testament, we're seeing kind of a change um, in the way that God worked through the Spirit um, as we move through the Gospels and into the book of Acts, because certainly the Spirit was around in the Old Testament, and certainly he worked in people. But we have the privilege as believers of having God's Spirit live within us and th- and through his through his power enabling us to do his work in a in a very unique way it's 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 amazing to think about it really is yeah and you're not just saying that like as a matter of opinion we, this verse mm-hmm. actually says that here it does it Those does Those whom who believed in him were to receive so mm-hmm. it, the implication is those who don't believe in him do not receive the holy spirit and if the Holy Spirit is holy, how can he come dwell in sinful people? He first has to deal with our sin problem. And Correct. when we trust in Christ, he cleanses us and forgives us of all sin so that the Holy Spirit can come dwell within us. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Yeah. But it's interesting that he would give this comment here before the resurrection that those who that he as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified there was a dispensation that had to happen before there was the cross he had to go to first and the resurrection and appearances so that's that's important people it is can't just throw out the cross and say well you you can believe in you know like the conversation we had with the woman uh, about Islam and Christianity, she said, oh, they, mm-hmm. they basically teach the same thing. Oh, no, they don't. Islam doesn't teach that Jesus died on the cross, and that makes a world of difference. Yeah, it does. And it's a different Jesus. So here it says, when Jesus is glorified, the Spirit will be poured out. So I would let's apply it to ourselves and the audience now. If mm-hmm. you recognize your thirst, your need for Jesus and for the Holy Spirit, what are we to do? He says, believe in me and come to me and drink. So have you gone to Jesus? Have you asked for the Holy Spirit? Have you prayed to receive him? And if you, are, if you have uh, repented and trusted in Christ, do you receive that? Do you believe that you've received the Holy Spirit? He will work in your life in such a way that you'll know for certain that you have a relationship with, with him, you have peace with him. But there's still times when we should be coming to him daily, actually, not just at times when we sense the need. But if you don't sense your need for Christ, I would encourage you to ask God, give me a thirst for you. Help me to sense my need for you so that I may come to you. And God will do that. Amen. All right. Shall we go to the next section? Yes, let's do that. Okay. And this will be our last section. We're at 39 minutes of recording. So Wonderful. I think we're, 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 we're good. We have 20 minutes to spend on these 12 verses. Yeah, yeah I think so, we've got some good content. Okay. Let's take turns reading. I'll start in verse 40. When they okay. heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. 
should we pause there maybe and point out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but they didn't <laughs> all know that? They knew he yeah, was uh, raised in Galilee. It's it, it reminded me when I was reading it of how many, how often people have objections to the Bible and Jesus Christ based on bad information. Yeah. Incomplete you know? information. Incomplete or, yeah, incomplete information or just straight up wrong information. Because they were arguing about something that was absolutely true. Scripture says that prophecy says that he was to come from the line of David. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, and that's what we see right at the beginning of the Gospels that, you know, God set things up so that those prophecies would be fulfilled. His parents, his earthly parents, were both from the line of David, yeah. you know, both um, relatives of David, and he actually had to go back to Bethlehem because of the census, and or they had to, and that's where he was born. So where does the scripture say that he would come from Bethlehem? I've got um, Micah 5.2. Yes. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, through though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from everlasting. That's right. And who can say that their origin? Yeah. Who can say their origins are from of old, from everlasting, other than God himself? Yep. Something that only applies to God. So, okay, let's, let's press on. Um, Verse 44. Mm-hmm. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And they they went each to his own house. That's the last verse of the chapter. Yeah. So, um... A similar thing that the Pharisees are complaining about that we complain about sometimes, the people mm-hmm. don't know the law. They're accursed. That's true. Um, that's true. Now, we don't, we don't usually phrase it like that. Accursed. No. That's, a, that's a very serious word. Anathema. Well, let me check the Greek if that's the word anathema that Paul used in Galatians. If anyone preaches another gospel, they are accursed. Mm-hmm. Do you ever say that anybody's accursed, Dan? I have not. <laughs> I may have thought it in my mind a few times, but no, I would not I would not say that to somebody in that way. I don't know, maybe I should in some cases. Yeah. I have on occasion told somebody that they are under the judgment of God and they need to repent. That could be in under a similar vein, but even that I generally am going to reserve for people who are yeah, so obviously anti-Christ in the way they're presenting themselves that I'm hoping to shock them into realizing what they're saying and the real consequences of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I stand uh, corrected. The Greek word isn't anathema. It's epikataratos. Epikataratos, <laughs> which, you know, epi <laughs> means like upon, like it's an over, yeah. like it's an emphasis word to invoke curses upon. This is what the Pharisees, they they really look down on the uh, the people and they saw themselves as different from the people. 
you know, mm-hmm. the whole division between holy, you know, reverends and laity, for example. Mm-hmm. They wanted to rule over the people um, rather than seeing themselves as among the people. They they just looked down on them. It's unfortunate. Yeah, there seems to be a tendency towards that in human nature, though, that, you know, the people that end up in those positions of authority can have a a pretty arrogant, haughty, superior attitude toward those below them, rather than recognizing that they're people too, with the same weaknesses and sins mm-hmm. to deal with. Oh my goodness, I, I'd say we're seeing that a little bit in government today. Yeah. <laughs> we're just seeing that mirrored. The implication here is that these people are like Gentiles. They don't know the law. And in verse 52, they said, are you, a, are you from Galilee too? Galilee was known to be kind of a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. There were more Gentiles in, pop, in the population, but they, they weren't like the Samaritans who were considered half-breeds, but they were at least of more Greek culture. In Isaiah, it says that Jesus would reveal himself to Galilee. And it says it, says it this way, uh, in, in the darkness, a light has shone in Galilee of the Gentiles. So, but they're using it as a put down to Nicodemus, who was one mm-hmm. of the Pharisees who simply stood up and, and asked, should we condemn a man before first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? You know, he's pointing out that they're being prejudiced. They haven't mm-hmm. taken the time to actually learn the facts about Jesus before condemning him, which Nicodemus could have taken a stronger stance there, you could say, because he had he could have said, I personally interviewed him and found that, mm-hmm. you know, he knew me, he knew my need, and 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 uh I'm a secret follower of him. But <laughs> no, he didn't do that. Yeah, he just sort yeah. of half hearted or halfway defended him. But even with that um, modest attempt to defend Jesus, they came back hard against him and against the people, um, which if you're going to take a stand and you're going to get this response, one, whether, whether you give a soft testimony or a hard one, you might as well give a full testimony of Jesus. And, and mm. you know, if you're going to be rejected either way, just make the most of that opportunity. Absolutely. Just present the truth. As, and that's, that is, that's a, a good principle because as Christians, if we're sharing who Jesus Christ is, there will always be rejection, won't there? Yeah. Or there will be frequently be rejection. So don't try to make the message more palatable. Right. You know, don't try to, you know, pour a little sugar on it so people are, are more likely to accept it. Just present it as clearly and faithfully as you can and leave the rest to God. He knows the results. He knows the hearts that it's going to mm-hmm. that it's going to touch and who it's not going to touch. So just present it as it is mm-hmm. and trust God for the rest. Yeah. There's also some really good sayings besides the der- derision that the Pharisees are saying. There's some true statements mm-hmm. in this whole section. This really yeah. is the prophet, they say. Or others say, this is the Christ. He's, he is both the prophet and the Christ that they were waiting for. The one from Bethlehem, the one, descendant of David, as we, as you, all, you already commented on that. And no mm-hmm. one ever spoke like this man before. Yeah. So the words and the and the deeds of Jesus really are enough to convince us that he is the one that we need, the one that yes. the Jews should have been waiting for and should have been ready for. So don't be dissuaded by those who say, have you been deceived also? Well, maybe they're the ones that are actually deceived because they've mm-hmm. rejected who Jesus really is. 
Amen. We, we ought to not let the fear of man cause us to trip and stumble over Jesus. The Bible really exactly. says uh, that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. And he who falls oh, into yeah, it absolutely. is not wise. I've fallen into that trap. I'm sure you have too. It's, you know, we want to be accepted and it's so easy to compromise for the sake of the acceptance of people around us. We need to, we need to be aware of that. I also noticed that it's, it's interesting how the, the Pharisees are kicking back so hard around this that even they're making false statements. Yeah. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Except that's not true. Yeah. Wasn't um, Jonah prof- from Galilee? The- Jonah was from Galilee. You know, and he was, I mean, there's a whole book about him for Pete's sake. Yeah. Um, so Jonah was from Galilee and possibly Elijah and Nahum, although there's not, I don't think there's consistency on believing that, but there's at least one, mm-hmm. you know, well-known, you know, prophet that was from Galilee. But they were really looking at the details. They were just saying, how can we discredit these people and discredit Jesus? That was the brand. So once again, the the motives can get in the way of the truth. Yeah. And the scripture that I referenced from Isaiah that said that the land mm-hmm. of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea yeah. beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles, yeah. Um, that people are dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. As for those dwell- dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Yeah. And And it's interesting how, yeah, go ahead. Ultimately, going back to the very beginning of this gospel, when he called the disciples, and I believe it was Philip called his brother, he he said, can anything good come out of Galilee? Or maybe that's what Philip said. Can anything good come out of Galilee? Or Nazareth, which is a city in Galilee. Yes, yes. And the the simple response to that was, come and see. (laughs) There's nothing that says the Messiah wouldn't be raised in Galilee. Mm Mm-hmm. But he would be called a Nazarene, which is from Nazareth. It's just so many prophecies that taken, you know, I mean, without seeing the details of Jesus' life, I think it would be easy to be confused on exactly where all these prophecies were pointing to. Because you've got one talking about Galilee and Nazareth. You've got one talking about Bethlehem. You've got what could be seen as conflicting accounts of what the Messiah was going to be like. But you see them all coming together and being fulfilled perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing since so many of these prophecies were written at vastly different times by different people in different settings, different So, I mean, God takes all these little details and puts them together into one beautifully, one beautiful whole. It really is. As we kind of take a step back and look at this whole chapter that we are finishing studying today, John chapter 7, looking at it as a whole, I think one one word that pops out a couple of times, uh, three times in this chapter is the word judge. Back in verse 24, Jesus said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. And Nicodemus said in verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what Mm. he does? And so often on the streets, you'll hear people say, judge not. Doesn't the Bible say, judge not, lest you be judged? (laughs) So there is a place for judgment. We're not to judge hypocritically, but we are to judge uh, with righteous judgment, Jesus himself says. So don't judge just by appearances, but we are all to make judgment calls. That doesn't mean that we're the one condemning people, but we're we're to reflect God's judgment. And if God says he's judged non-believers or condemned non-believers, then we just 
are preaching the Word of God, that's part of the message that we're supposed to be faithful to preach. Yes, yes, absolutely. So there's a difference between condemning judgment and discerning judgment, hypocritical judgment, and judging according to truth. So, uh, Dan, you have a you have a painting that you do where it says on <laughs> it's top, one of my favorite messages. Yeah, judge not. Can you give people a little sample of that today? Sure. Basically, it's just um, once again looking at scripture in context so that we understand what a particular passage means. The judge not, lest you be judged. Um, is something that it's a verse that's so often taken in isolation. But if you read the rest of the passage, it makes it clear what it means. Judge not, for, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So it's talking about not judging self-righteously or hypocritically and using a double standard. And of course, it goes on to give a really funny, in a lot of ways, illustration of what it's talking about. Why do you look at the speck or the splinter in your own eye and pay no attention to the the log in somebody else's eye? How can you say to your brother, here, let me take that speck, that splinter out of your eye when all the time there's a log hanging out of your own eye? (laughs) You got a two by four there, buddy. (laughs) Exactly. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it's about it's about hypocrisy. It's mm-hmm. about pointing a finger at somebody else or not pointing a finger at somebody else when you have the same similar or even bigger problem that you need to deal with in your own life. Mm-hmm. And of course, if there's anything that people don't like, it's a hypocrite. And I'll tell you, I've heard so many times, one of the things that turns people away from church You know, if you want to see people come to Christ, one of the ways that you can, you know, avoid turning people off is not being a hypocrite yourself, not living or looking like a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be around that kind of person. Yeah, be real. Authentic is the key word. Be real, authentic. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And And I think that being vulnerable in that area and being able and willing to share your own struggles as a Christian... Um, will break down so many walls in sharing Christ with people because it's easy for people to look in from the outside and see a bunch of people that seems that seem either like they're doing everything right and I could never live up to my stand that standard or you know are acting like hypocrites when they have the same kind of problems. Either one of those is going to turn people away. But when you can But the church is not supposed to be a place of hypocrisy, and it's not supposed to be a place where you're pretending where you look perfect. It's a place where people, all with similar problems, come to look at the one true solution together. And that's what we need to, that's what we need, that's what we should want our churches to look like. And if you're coming from the outside as a non Christian, don't go into a church saying, I need to hide all the problems that I have so they will think I'm worthy to be in the church. No, it doesn't work that way. Every Christian, the step one of being a Christian is, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Yeah. Acknowledge our sins so that we can yes. uh, receive the truth that Jesus died for that sin. 
Amen. Yeah. One thing that dawns on me as I'm reading what Nicodemus said here in verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing or learning what he does? Mm. That's applied to Jesus. As it applies to Jesus, Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't break the law one time. In this chapter, he even says, I always do what pleases the Father. Mm. But he also says, as for you, you don't keep the law. And a lot of times it's so easy to judge other people and see how they don't keep the law. But we need to turn that mirror on ourselves and see, Yes. well, if the law is going to judge what I do, what do I do? Have I ever lied? Mm. Have I ever stolen? Have I ever looked with lust? Jesus called that adultery. He calls someone mm. an idiot or hate them or angry without cause. Yeah. That's murder in the heart. And so do you know what the law says? It really shows us our need for a Savior because we are all sinful. Apart from Christ, there is no one good, no, not one. Amen. We've all turned aside. We've all gone astray. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his stripes, we are healed by his wounds we're reconciled to God. It pleased the Lord to crush him. I'm just quoting from Isaiah 53 because that's the solution to our sin problem. And I want everyone to hear. It is. Jesus died for you so that you don't have to um, pretend that you, you deserve eternal life and you deserve God's acceptance. Forget man's acceptance. What's most important is that God accepts you. And Amen. by the law, no one is acceptable to God. But Jesus gives us his righteousness when we believe in him. He counts our faith as righteousness. And when we trust in him and come to him, turning from our sins to him and saying, here I am, take my sin and give me your righteousness, please. Mm. I don't deserve it, but I receive it as a gift. That's how salvation happens. And we want that reality to be yours. We want you to know by experience the forgiveness of your and the cleansing of your conscience. What a great blessing that is. Your thoughts? I think that you expressed it rather well. Thank you. So thanks everybody for joining us today on Dwell on Truth. We hope this show was a blessing for you and we hope that you'll consider reaching out to us. We're not here just to talk at you. We're here to talk with you and to help you on your on your journey to, to know the, the one true God better. And, and we want to see you saved and we want to see you grow. And if you have questions, you can visit our website to contact us there and also to listen to this show again or to previous shows. That is www.oacnorcal.org. You can also contact us uh, through email. If you want, you can reach out to us at oacnorcal at gmail.com or questions at dwellontruth.org. And we would love to hear from you and have a blessed rest of your day. And we hope that you'll join us again next week. Yes. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This episode of Dwell on Truth has been brought to you by Partners of Open Air Campaigners, NorCal. For more info, go to oacnorcal.org. Thanks for listening to Dwell on Truth. Hope to see you next week.